If you're new here today, we are thrilled that you are. Um, we've been waiting for you, we've been expecting you, and uh, it's going to be a great day because, you know, I know that the answer that people need today is here. I know, and I'm 100% convinced of this thing, and that is that your answer is here today, and you will leave changed if you want to, if you want to. You know, God's ear is to you today. He's listening to you today. He's listening to the cries of your heart. And um, that's why I know and I am convinced we have a brush on the stage. Like, sorry, we have a brush. Um, that's why I am convinced that today, they'll sort this mic out. I know it sounds funny, don't worry. Um, that you are going to leave changed. Um, I want to say happy birthday to Tony. Tony is the big 5 on Tuesday, and um, you look fabulous for it, Tony. When Tony came to our church about three or four years ago, we had a database, and you put people in age brackets, don't know why we did it, but, but Barry guessed and put Tony in the age bracket of in his 50s, at which point you were about 46, weren't you? 45, 46, and he stayed anyway once we confessed that he was in the in the 50s bracket. But you will soon be being moved up to the in the 50s bracket, Tony. The other night, is Alan stayed in the meeting? She actually stayed in today. The other night, me and Barry went to the MEN arena and we went to watch Eleanor perform. And uh, she went with her school to something called Young Voices. I don't know whether you've ever heard what Young Voices is. Well, Barry had no idea what Young Voices was. I did, as the good mother. <clears throat> you research these things and you find out what your child is involved in. So we arrive at the MEM. We've bought these tickets. They're £20 each. It's not cheap. Eleanor then has to have a T-shirt, which we have to pay money for, and a torch that we have to pay money for. And she has to take extra food that we have to... So this is like, this is like a mammoth outing. The other children were like, can we go and watch? I'm like, not at all. It's £20 a person, sweetheart. We have five children. Okay, so that's a dear do if we're suddenly going... That's like £140 just to go and sit in the MEN. But it was to listen to Eleanor, and she is worth £140. So she's winking at me on the front row. So we, we sit there, and some of the other parents came and sat with us from school. There was only 21 children from Eleanor's uh, school singing. And we sat there, and uh, we got there early, and... Um, Barry said, so does every school, and you can see all these kids, there's masses of them, I think there was 5,800 and, sorry, 5,083, one of those was my Eleanor, and there's masses of all these children sat in the stalls, and they've all got the Young Voices t-shirts on, and there's a stage in front of them, and Barry says to me, so every school comes down and performs on the stage, I went, no love. I said, that is the choir, all 5,083 of the children, and we're going to sit and we're going to listen to them sing. I mean, I've heard it all at home because Eleanor's been practicing a little heart out. And Barry went, so I'm going to sit and watch 5,083 children sing for two hours. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I thought I was going to get to see my Eleanor. Like, he was convinced she was going to take to the stage and sing with these artists. I'm like, no, these are the choir behind the artists. 
But I'll tell you something, we scoured that 5,083 children for our daughter. Barry even tried to get through security barriers to get to the front to find out which one was his daughter in the 5,083 children. Honestly, he's saying to the parents, it's okay, don't worry, because we're all kind of like just sat waiting for it to start. I will go. I will be the one. And he climbs over chairs and he's trying to get past security guards because he has to find out which one is his daughter. He's also been put on a mission with the other parents to find out who their daughters are. And to be fair, he probably doesn't even have a clue who they are because he doesn't really mix with the parents. And, and, and he came back, he was like, oh, it was like they, won't, they, won't, they won't let me go past. He said, I can't get past, I can't see who she is. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to wave. <laughs> he said, because if she can see me in the crowd, she will, can we just, I don't know, I'll put it down there. If she can see me in the crowd, she'll know her dad's been waving at her. So he gets up and he stood. And there's all these kids, we had no idea where she was, and he's going, like this waving because he's like my Eleanor will know that I have waved at her and I have seen her and so this fiasco is going on and then we have a brainwave iPhone zoom in so we find the Farnworth C of E primary school banner and we're looking we're thinking none of them children look like any of the kids from our school and they end up they're under a different banner but we locate them so we take a picture and we zoom in and in 5,083 children was my girl. <laughs> she was there. And I'll tell you something. And I said to her at the end, you know what, Eleanor? I took this picture and I zoomed in and, and it was all blurred. And you couldn't see anything really. But I, I put a red mark, a red ring around her so I could show her that in 5,083 children, we knew where she was. We knew where she was. And for the whole night, we had eyes for Eleanor. And here's the thing I want to say to you. That's God's heart. That's God's heart to us today, that in the however many people are in this room today, he sees you. He sees you. Just like it talks in the Bible where about leaving the 99 and going for the one, he sees you. He sees where you're at. He sees those quiet cries that you may have done behind closed doors. He knows the stuff that has gone on in secret. He knows exactly where you're at today, and maybe you are hiding behind a smile. But God wants you to know today that that's his heart to you. And that behind the smile and within the crowd, he sees you. He sees you. And just like Barry was as Eleanor's father, to make sure that she knew he'd seen her. God is saying to you today, I want you to know that I see you. I want you to be confident of this, that I see you and I see where you're at. And that's why today, if we listen up, that there is something powerful about to be said because it's from the word of God. And the word of God is truth and the word of God never changes. And it is powerful and it is effective and it will cut through our circumstances. It will cut through our problems. It will cut through our doubts of who we are. Because when we read the word, we know who God is. And we know God's voice over our circumstances. And God's voice over our situation, everything changes. So however you've come in today, you may have come in on cloud nine and everything is wonderful. And that's great. But even there, know who God is. Don't ever think you're there by your own achievements. Don't ever think you're there and you've made it. Even there. You know, sometimes we talk about when we're in a valley and we, we can lose our way and we can doubt God and we can... But let me say, sometimes when we're up there, we can. It's not that we doubt him, we just forget him. Because we're like, hey, life's great. 
And then suddenly something happens and we throw out a prayer and we throw out a cry. So wherever we're at today, know that God sees you and he sees me just as we did with Eleanor. I remember being sat in a meeting probably about um, five or six years ago at a community center we once met at. And it was before me and Barry had taken on the pastorship of the church. And we, uh, I, I was sat there and there was a speaker. And I'd been somebody and I had believed I was a very insignificant person. I was from a very big family. I saw all the potential in all the other siblings. I was the youngest of eight children. And I saw myself as insignificant. If anybody was going to do anything great, if anybody was going to go into ministry, it would always be one of the others. And I was cool with that. I, I, that didn't bother me. I was fine with that. I remember sitting in this meeting and this speaker talking. And he talked about David. And he said about David being the youngest. And how David had been left out in the field to care for the sheep. And David had seemed insignificant. And what the rest of the family, I'm not bad-mouthing my family here, by the way. I'm just, I, I don't mean that. What the rest of the family had missed was that he was extremely significant because of the call of God and what God was going to ask him to do. And that day, I sat there in that meeting, and it was like a light bulb moment. And I was like, God, I'm not insignificant. I'm significant. Yeah. And you have a plan and a purpose for my life. And I may not see it, and I may not get it, and I may not feel like I'm up to it, but you know I am. Because you've called me, and my prayer today is that people in here would have that light bulb moment. Because I've, as I've been praying over today, I believe that there are people in here, and you are on the verge of giving up. You're on the verge of giving up. I don't know giving up what. And I'm talking about giving up in a, in a negative way, not giving up an addiction or giving up. I'm on about giving up in a negative way where you're just like, I am done. I am all in. There's people in here and you're questioning why life is the way that it is at the moment. And you're questioning where God is in it all. And you're ready to give up if you haven't already. And I was reminded of a story that Barry has told many times and a lot of you will probably know it about a man called Darby. And it was in the time of the gold rush. And he set off to find gold. And he took his pickaxe and he, and he started on the ground to look for where, where the gold, he'd been told gold was here. And he saw a glimmer of this gold and he covered it up and he went back home and he told his family and his neighbors and just kept it to themselves. And altogether, they raised money to get machinery and he went back and he began to dig for gold and he found gold and he sent one cart of gold back and, and it was refined and were, this is like the most expensive gold. And he kept going and he kept going and he never found any more gold. And he was like, that must have been it. That was it. And he got discouraged and he got downcast and it got hard. And so he was like, that's it, I've tried, there's no more. And so he sold his machinery for a pittance to a junk man and went back home. He went back home in debt. And the junk man, he brought in an expert. And the expert looked and said, oh, there's gold. It's just that the man, he didn't understand the fault lines. He didn't know what was here. He didn't understand the land. In fact, he's gone home three feet from gold. He's, that's a true story. He's given up three feet from gold. And when that story came back to my mind, that's us as Christians, us as children of God. We will give up and we will go home and we have never brought the expert in. 
because we've made choices and we've made decisions out of ourselves and we haven't consulted God. We haven't gone to him and he is the expert that says, listen, don't give up. You are three feet from your breakthrough. You are three feet from this abundance. You are three feet. And God is saying to you today, you are three feet from gold. Do not give up. God is saying, I see you, I hear you, and I'm telling you now, you are on the brink of something, but you are ready to turn away, and you are ready to walk away. And God says, not today, because today is your breakthrough. Today is your moment, and that breakthrough will come in you remaining. That breakthrough will come in you staying, and you keeping going. I want to look at um, a passage out of the Bible. It's a story about a family where tragedy struck. And they were living in Bethlehem. It's not Mary and Joseph. Um, and famine struck. And they ended up leaving. There was a mother, uh, there were a wife, a husband, two sons. And they left where they lived to find somewhere that, where there was an abundance. And they left. And tragedy struck this family. Because the wife and the mother, she was called Naomi. And tragedy struck in the form of her husband and her two sons dying. And she was left with the two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. You can only begin to imagine the trauma that this family went through. For this lady, Naomi, to lose your husband. You know, I've never lost my husband, but I've, I'm my mum who's lost a husband and I've lost a father. And to then for this lady to lose her two sons as well. The tragedy that struck this family. And Naomi is left with the two daughter-in-laws. And Naomi's at a little bit of a loss. But she hears that back home, the famine is over, and she has nothing to, no reason to stay where she is. So she heads back home to the people that she knows. We're going to pick this up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 to 13. So they're heading back home because they know now that the famine is over, the food is over, and she can go back and be with her people. This lady is grief-stricken. And they're on the way back, and it says, But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up? And refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. You can hear the heart of Naomi here, can't you? You can hear the heart of wanting to release these girls to go on and find a future, to go on and find husbands and to be able to have children, to go back to their mothers, to their own birth mothers. You can hear the heart here. But then in verse 14, it says, And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. This is a key part in this story. It made sense for these girls to go back home. 
it made sense for these girls to take another path. And for Orpah, maybe that was right for her. But Ruth, Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Ruth was going to hold on no matter what. Ruth wasn't going to be easily convinced by the natural thinking of what made sense. Because Ruth had a purpose and Ruth knew what she was to do and Ruth knew that she was to protect Naomi at her own expense, at her own costs. It goes on to say, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods with a little g. You should do the same. You can hear her saying, Ruth, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you stay with me when you can go back and be with the people that you know? You can go back and be with your friends. You can have your friends, Ruth. You can have your family, Ruth. Go, go. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wow, what a heart. What a heart. Wherever you go, I will go, despite a heartache. Wherever you live, I will live, despite a heartache. Your people will be my people, and your God, capital G, <laughs> will be my God. Orpah had gone back to her gods. Ruth, she was saying, ah, 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 the almighty God will be my God. The almighty God will be my God. He says, wherever you die, Naomi, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. You know what she's saying there? She's saying this. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow my flesh to get in the way. If I allow anything bad to come in. If I decide to go with my emotions. If I decide to, because what she's wanting to do here, she's wanting to follow God. She's wanting to follow God. And she's saying, if I let anything come in other than death, she's like, May, I'll be, let me be punished. Let me be punished because she was so determined about her purpose and about following God. She was driven and, by, and powered by knowing what she should do and by who she knew. She says, your God will be my God. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more, and they returned to Bethlehem. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Ruth knew that her commitment needed attention. You know, I, I've had things where I've signed up for stuff and I've been powerful about stuff and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do the other and then suddenly you realize there's hard work involved and you're like, that's not what I planned. Or maybe you know there's going to be hard work but then suddenly along the way somewhere there's betrayal, there's hurt, there's people letting you down. Suddenly there's a financial crisis that's hit your world. And then suddenly you're thinking, well, I didn't realize when I committed. And that's when we revert to our own natural thinking and we begin to think, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to? But you see, Ruth had gone into this saying that the almighty God would be her God. So that was why that when 
the commitment needed hard work. And when the commitment needed some grafting, she would do it because of her purpose. Because of her purpose and because of who her trust was in. Knowing what she'd been called to do. You know, Ruth was still grieving her, her own husband. Naomi was grieving her husband and her sons. But Ruth, she was also grieving her own husband. She would have been well within her rights to stay at home and grieve. But she knew what she had committed to. She knew what she had put her hand to. She knew what she had declared to Naomi that day. And she was like, I am seeing this through. And I'm seeing this through not in my strength. I'm seeing this through in God's strength. And I'm going to do everything that I need to do. And Naomi replied to her and said, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, if you are in the will of God and in the plan of God, you know that, and as it happened, it's God. It's God. You're like, how the heck did that happen? Me and Barry had something. What was it? Oh, I know what it was. Me and Barry had something the other week. And um, we, we have a house that we rent out. And we, let, we got new tenants. And these new tenants were too good to be true. We were like, I'm telling my mum, she's like, really? Really? We're like, yeah. It was amazing. It was completely, it was a miraculous thing how it happened. And it was too good to be true. And I said to Barry, I said, here's the thing. Sometimes we think something's too good to be true, so it can't be true. What we forget is that our God is too good to be true. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen? Let me say that again. Sometimes we think something is too good to be true, so it can't be true, when we forget that our God is too good to be true. <laughs> in our own natural thinking. He's a good God. He's a good God. So in here where it says, and as it happened, it didn't just happen. That message I got the other week out of the blue through an advert. It didn't just happen. It was orchestrated by God. And it was the very, 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 very best that we could have had that completely blew our mind. Because our God is that good. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes to rest in the shelter. You see, in a practical way, this commitment to Naomi was hard graft in the midday sun. Wasn't a cushy number. She was out in the field. She, she, she went under shelter. The heat was intense. It wasn't easy. And it wasn't glamorous. But she was determined because she knew what she'd been called to do. She knew that she was in the right place at the right time, with the right person, because she knew that God was that good because he, she was following his plan and not her own. She was following his plan and not living out of her own emotions. She was following his plan so she wasn't being blown around by all the different circumstances and everything that was going on because she was following God's plan. Because she said that 
the God Almighty will be my God. And the minute she did that, she put him in the driver's seat. And so many times we take him out. We take him out. And then we start to wonder why everything's going wrong. And then we don't feel like church. And we don't feel like reading our Bible. And we don't feel like this. But actually, we've taken God out the driving seat of our world and our lives. Instead of having him central and focused to us. And we forget his faithfulness. And we forget his goodness. We touched on this actually. She yesterday morning. And I was sat there thinking, I'm preaching on something similar tomorrow. You know, God is trying to, he's really speaking and he's wanting to break through to us today. To say, don't take me out the driving seat. You're making decisions based on your emotions. Rather than making decisions based on me and the plan that I have for your life. So she's working hard and she's working in Boaz's field as it happened. And then Boaz went over to her and said, Ruth. Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. In the hard work and the hard time came favor, safety, and provision. Whatever storm you find yourself in today, whatever you were on the verge of giving up on, I want you to know today that the the road may seem tough and the road may seem hard, but you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus and be confident of this, that in the hard time, the provision is there, the safety is there, And the favor is there. You just need to look for it. It's not that it's not there. It's that your eyes have been distracted onto other things. The favor, the provision, and the safety are all there in this difficult time for you. You just need to look for it. Ruth was showered with favor. She was showered with it. Later on in this, she was even asked, did she want to go and eat the food that had been made for the employed people? Did she want to go and eat with them? Did she want to go and drink with them? Did she want to go and shelter with them? Why? Because of God's favor. Because of God's favor. So that in those hard times that she needed to go through, she needed to go through the grafting. She needed to go through that not turning away and not going back and be like, you know what, I've lost my husband and I just need to go back and I just need some time. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't time when God draws us aside. I am not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but I'm preaching this message today, all right? <laughs> but she could have done that. But she knew at that moment in time that was not what she was required to do. She was required to remain, and she was required to push through. And God guided her. As it happened, she ended up in Boaz's field where she would find favor where she would find safety because he said, I've told the young men not to treat you roughly. He looked out for her because she said that the God Almighty would be her God. The last little bit of this story. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. He is now creating a place of abundance. 
compared to what she was doing. She was just going up picking bits of grain that people were dropping. And so now he's given an instruction of let her gather grain right among the sheaves. Right among the sheaves without stopping her. He's like, don't touch her. Don't touch her. You know, God's like that about us. God's like, don't, don't touch her. Don't, she's mine. <laughs> she's mine and I'm putting her in a place of provision. Don't touch her. Don't stop her. And sometimes we're so worried about what people are doing and what people are standing in our way. And, and that, that's what we see. But actually, when you're in the place of God and you're following his plan, God's not going to let them touch you. They might try and touch you. It might feel like they're touching you. But God's there saying, ah, 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 he's mine. Don't touch him. And pull out some heads of barley from the bundle and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Favor after favor after favor. Safety and provision. Was it tough for, for Ruth? Yes. Yes. She'd been through tough times. Physically, she was in a tough place. But there was blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Because right at the outset, she said to Naomi, your God will be my God. And I am submitting. And I am going to sacrifice. With God, center focus of my world and my life. And as the story continues, Ruth and Boaz, they marry. Go home and read the story. I've, I've read more verses than I would normally read today. So I didn't want to read anymore. But Boaz, in doing the right thing, he's blessed with land and a wife. Ruth is blessed with a husband. Ruth was focused. and Ruth was immovable. And she was blessed. She wasn't just blessed in the immediate. She was blessed in the future. Because during that hard time, of Orpah leaving them and then she's traveling along with Naomi and they get to Bethlehem and then she needs to provide for Naomi and she's out in the field doing all the hard physical works in the sun and all this is going on all the time Boaz was in her future and for some people today you are ready to give up and you're going to miss your Boaz if she had given up and she had gone home and she had taken a different path, and she had removed herself from where she was supposed to be, she would have missed out on her Boaz. Now, I don't know what your Boaz is. I'm using the name Boaz because I'm aligning it with this story. I don't know what that is. But for some of you, there's a financial breakthrough coming. For some of you, there is a job coming. For some of you, it's a ministry thing. There are many times I could have walked away from what I was called to do. Many times this path has not always been easy. And I know that there are challenges to come. And just even in the last few months, there are, the last few months have been challenging. But the fact is, I know what I have been called to do. I know what I have been called to do. And there have been times when I have been at the brink, not because I don't love what I do, but because the attacks and different things are so great and you can feel so alone that you can have those moments where you think, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And I was sharing yesterday at She, and I, I wasn't even going to share this, but I am, that um, a couple of weeks into December, I was in the house on my own, which is very, very rare, being such a busy house. 
even Barry was out of the house, and I don't know where the staff were. They must have been down here, or they were wagging it. No, they weren't. <laughs> and I was carrying such a deep hurt and a deep grief. And I wasn't going to give up, but what I was carrying was making it hard for me. My joy had gone. My, I'd began to start to think with this. And neglect what God had called me to and standing on who God was. And I sat down on the settee and I have an Alexa that I got for my birthday and you just tell her what to do and she does it. And um, I just said, uh, Alexa, shuffle Hillsong. And she shuffles Hillsong from the last 30 years or whatever. And the first song that came on was It Is Well With My Soul. And I sat and I cried tears that I needed to cry. I wept and I wept and I knew that internally there was a healing going on in me. And as I started to cry and there was a bridge in it and it says, you are the rock on which I stand. By your grace, it is well. You are, my, my hope is sure in Christ my Savior. It is well with my soul. And as after all me crying... And, and I stood up and I rose up physically and I began to walk around that kitchen and I began to sing it and I began to sing it with determination and I started to say, you know what, God, if everybody leaves me, if everybody leaves me, if everybody abandons me, you won't. Because despite my circumstances, the truth of who God is, is that he is faithful the truth of who God is, is that he will never leave me. The truth of who God is, is he will never abandon me. The truth of who God is, is that he is my protector. And I needed to move from where I was at to the truth of what God's word said. And even though this came through a song, then all the scriptures begin to flow because you know who God is. And I began to pray with such determination. And I began to say, no, no, this is not going to happen. No, I am not going down. I am not going under because it is well with my soul. And for some people in here today, you just need to start singing. It is well with my soul. Because the hard times, they'll come. And the road is not always easy. But when you know who God is, and you know what you've been called to, that is the thing that will keep you. When you start to speak out the scripture. So for those of you who are wavering in here today, and you're on the brink of giving up, and some of you have, I want to tell you it's not too late. It's not too late. to get, you, You've not given up and it's over. Grace upon grace upon grace. All you need to do is you just need to call out. You need to call out to God today and say, God, I have given up. Or God, I am on the verge of giving up because it's so hard. Like we spotted Eleanor in 5,083 children. God sees you today. We can only be unshaken and immovable when we are planted and rooted in Christ Jesus. When we draw on the spirit that is within us, that is what brings us through. When we draw on that, the truth comes out. The reality of who God is comes out. But when we are blown around by our emotions and we are drawing on our emotions and drawing on our flesh, that's why we're all over the place and we feel like quitting and we feel like giving up. 
But when you're drawing from the spirit that is within us, when you're drawing from the Holy Spirit, that is the thing that makes you rise up and go, no, you know what? It's tough, but I'm going to sing. It's tough, but I'm going to read my word. It's tough because I know, I may not see it now, but I know that in my future, there's a Boaz, and I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And God knows it. God's got it planned. And I'm going to make sure I'm center focused around God. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 40. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God. In this world, things will end. People will come. People will go. Finances will change. Jobs will change. Circumstances will change. The Lord is the everlasting God. There's no end to him. The creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. Never. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Do you need understanding of a situation today? Do you need to make sense of a situation today? Unless you go to the one whose depths of understanding cannot even be measured, you are going to make decisions that are going to fail. He gives power to the weak. Do you need power today? Do you need power and strength to the powerless? You know that day, he gave me strength. Because I sat on that settee feeling like, I'm just going to put on a show. I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm too broken. He gave me strength. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fall in exhaustion. Why? Because they're doing it in their own strength. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not faint. Church, can we stand to our feet? I'm going to read that again. Let's stand to our feet, church. But those who trust in the Lord. For some people today, that's all you've got to do. You've got to reshift your focus. And you've got to say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. And that, church, is how you come through. That, church, is how you remain. That, church, is how you are steadfast. Because when you trust the one whose understanding cannot even be measured, when you trust the one who gives strength to the powerless and power to the weak, when you trust the one who is going to cause you to soar high on wings like eagles, that is how you remain because that is where your trust is and that is where your heart is aligned and that is where your thinking is aligned. Just as the worship, band, the worship team go in, I want to ask these three questions. What were you called to? This is for the people who have given up or are on the verge of giving up. What were you called to? That might be a job. That might be a ministry. That might be to a child who's gone away from God. What have you been called to? 
remember the moment when you were called. Remember that moment as Ruth clung to Naomi. As she clung to Naomi, that moment was significant. And you have had a significant moment with God. You've had a significant moment. You know you've had a significant moment. Commit to it again. Commit to it again. Recommit. And say, no, I'm not going. I'm not turning back. I'm not withdrawing. I am committing again to that moment. Do the right thing above your feelings. And you will see the provision and the blessing in the difficult times. Your vision, your future, there's a Boaz. Always stay connected to the source. As I said the other week, how does a drunkard stay drunk? By keeping on drinking. If you are giving up on reading your Bible, and you are giving up on spending time in the presence of God, you are giving up on drawing on the spirit that is within you. If you are giving up on those things, you will become disconnected. Stay connected to the source. As we worship now, for a couple of moments before the end of the service, is that you? I want you to remember the moment. Remember the moment. Commit again and draw from him.